0: The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. Good morning, Mitchell. Good morning, Vic. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm in the studio with Mitchell Dye and myself, Vic Bongiorno. So we're just doing our regular program, 11 on Friday.
1: Would you like uh, to play our intro just because it's good? I enjoy oh, the music. Okay, either. now we're going to do that. So cut uh, to... Thank you. Um, and just while we're queuing it up, lots to talk about. And thanks to Dennis yeah, as well. well. 94.7 The Pulse, the weekly you, wrap-up, Dennis. and word on the street. This is 11 on Friday. Well, I just like it because it's a very groovy tune. Good choice of music. What's not to like. Now, tell us about what you're up to today. And uh, by the way, this is my last program for uh, a couple of weeks. I'll be taking some time out. Where are you off to? Uh, next week going to the Mornington Peninsula, which should be nice for a few days down there. Well, very lucky. I think well, we've well, talked well. about your days. Was it at Mornington or yeah, the had Padua, a, was it?
0: We yeah, that's correct. We had the Grand Hotel when I was a kid.
1: Well, there you go. That's in, uh, in the an main icon. Street. Mm, yeah, mm. beautiful. And um, still does a roaring trade to this day, I believe. Yeah, and it's going to be huge down there because uh, the restrictions have come off last night that uh, restricted the number of people you could have in hospitality premises. So, it's gonna so be we're absolutely all clear, bumpy. aren't we? Well, sort of, yes. I mean, there's still some restrictions, like you have to wear masks in aged care and uh, everyone going in has to be doubly vaxxed. So it's a, a vaccinated economy, but it does feel like we're sort of returning to normal. But that said, I wouldn't be just getting too far ahead of ourselves, because again, a lot of the language that the Premier was using yesterday, we heard that um, last Lots year, language. when he talked about the lightest touch possible, that sort of lingo that was being used last year, and I also note, I was reading uh, online that Gibraltar, which is one of the most vaccinated places in the world, apparently, has just said we're cancelling Christmas, effectively, in that, that, that mean... they're putting in new restrictions on gatherings and saying, really think about, it, because... Uh, is that because the vaccines wearing off? Is that...
0: I... Good question. A I just said... This that... is the mystery. Well, it. it said
1: uh, the vaccination rate's very high, but the number of cases, apparently, they were quite concerned. And I'm assuming that Gibraltar bring a, a very small community. They probably think, oh, we can maybe try and lock it down and keep it up because Gibraltar is just like a tip, they isn't might... it?
0: might... They might only have two ICU, ICU beds in Gi- Gibraltar. That could be the problem.
1: Could do. have you been to Gibraltar? No, but I because we uh, no. went there as a, a family, and one of the most iconic things to me was how the airport runway um, has a road going through it. So it's like a level crossing. When you're driving on the road, they close the the gates because mm. there's a plane taking off or landing, and then they open it and you can drive on again. That It's a very, very, uh, very nice area. So Gibraltar back into some sort of restriction not a full-on lockdown but i think some people would say well, no one does lockdowns like we do here in victoria so that's that but um let's hope we can at least have a few weeks and maybe even months until the winter next year and maybe even with a few booster shots behind us, maybe winter next year will be somewhat tolerable but for the meantime let's just get out there and enjoy it and last night i uh, went down to the the beach in queenscliff and just a beautiful beautiful night
0: well, that sounds terrific. Uh, I've just come out of a stress a stress echo test this morning, Mitchell. Now, so walk I'm us through bit, what happens. Well, they strip you off and put all these little contacts. This is for my, my licence renewal. And they put these contacts all over you, and then they take your critical signs and blood pressure, and then they make you run.
1: Is that a good all... thing you think that you had the test before you came in here well, today to no operate cho- the
0: panel? No choice. It's probably not my... It wasn't what I would have chosen, but
1: I had no choice in this. Surely but, you'd be um, out less stressed before this program than after?
0: W- well, it does have a... You do feel slightly relaxed after all that exertion. They, she said I was in uh, terrific condition and that oh, I, well, could, I could apply for the next... Uh,
1: um, James Bond position, but is your um, class one medical? Is Daniel that two C- years or one Daniel year. Craig has bowed out,
0: so sorry.
1: I thought last time, anyway. They keep saying he bows out, then he seems to come back and do one more. He <laughs> won't be coming back after this one. I don't I think I saw it the other day. So. <laughs> yeah, I think I've heard that, and yeah. I said spoiler alert, but maybe yep. mm-hmm. it's a big time, and it goes for about two and a half hours. You never know with him; um, he can come back. But look, in terms of the um, the class one medical, do you have to do it every year, or is it every, every year? year, every yeah. year? Yeah. That's pretty full on. It is. It gives life. you confidence if you're on a passenger plane well, that the pilots have been... I look at from the perspective that it's a good
0: health check too. Yeah, so that's true. Keeps you keeps you fit and um, makes you stay fit. So,
1: terrific. So, so that's, you, that's, you pass that's with voices.
0: flying colours? Yes, I... Well, mm, according to the lady, she said it was all pretty good, but we can't say it. wasn't official, but I feel pretty good about it, so there you go. You
1: have to wait until the certificate arrives in the mail.
0: So, but you don't have to worry because I don't sweat. Okay, so I learnt that in the Falklands. I was in the Falklands and I learnt not to sweat down. You and uh, someone else, someone, someone else. Yeah, we don't sweat. So you have that in common. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, um, but I was just, I was surprised to hear about this new tax just going through the upper house in, in Parliament, uh, State Parliament, um, Mitchell. That's called a windfall Gains Tax. Yes. Are you, you're across this, are you?
1: Yeah, because um, Tom Rowe, who we've had on the program many times, he ran for council in 2017, uh, wasn't successful, and is now an independent candidate for corangamide. This has probably been his number one issue for many years, and he's angry that actually they didn't bring in this windfall gains tax before a lot of the land around Geelong was rezoned because he thinks that money could go into infrastructure around here. But he's a property developer, which would make you think he's against the tax, but no, He's very much in favor of it. And his Russian, I've actually sent him a message to say, could he come on the program yeah, yeah. Uh, before midday just to quickly tell us about it. Uh, but his rationale is if you've had this land let's say it's rural land i know someone in this position they've got all this rural land and uh, you've had the luck that because of the stroke of a pen of government it's been rezoned and has become a commercial or um, high density residential zone your land value has increased by millions of dollars overnight so he says you know that's good for you good luck that you had the uh, the foresight to buy that land or the luck of having it passed down through your family but um, he thinks you should give 50 percent of that money back to the government to fund new infrastructure because when we rezone the land we have to put in all the roads and schools and things to keep up with the population growth so he thinks you get to keep 50 percent of the extra millions you've made overnight just because the government had a stroke of the pen and uh, the government gets 50 percent back so that they can fund all that vital infrastructure
0: yeah i get all that that's that's um that's sounds fairly reasonable on the face of it but as far as I can see, and I probably need clarification on this. Shame we can't talk to him. Well, I see he might be
1: a in a meeting, but um, I've just sent him if he's available before midday. He'll let us know. This him,
0: is a, uh, a state tax. Yep, and you've got the federal taxes still involved here. You've still got your capital gains tax. Yep. So this is all on top. Yep. I assume that's the case. So uh,
1: that makes. Well, I don't it think the feds will be giving up their tax money. No, anytime soon. no,
0: I would not think so. So I, I would think it possibly. It possibly it's sixty two point five percent between 100 and hundred and five hundred thousand K and then fifty percent thereafter I would think that's possibly going to deter some people from taking the risk of subdividing. Mm. Um, rather than just selling as a job lot and saying, Well, look, I'll just sell the whole place and I won't be up for that tax and I'll be in just as good a position without the stress.
1: Now, yeah, now doesn't the property become a lot more valuable if you do subdivide? Well not, well, not
0: <laughs> not. with those sorts of tax impositions. I wouldn't think that that's... That'd have to be... You'd have to get crunchy numbers on that. <laughs> but he's, I, I'm, I'm, says, I'm surprised that, that that's a very high rate of tax.
1: His rationale is instead of making $10 million, you only make $5 million, which means you've done very nicely out well, of it. And so is the state. <laughs> what about the what about the developers that don't make money? There are plenty of develop-
0: developers that head south, uh, Mitchell, and we don't hear about them. We're only hear about the ones that make make money. Now, um, I, I'm just I'm just just taking it face value, and I'm asking a few questions here. I, I would think that um, if developments like this don't go ahead, and yes, developers do make a lot of money. They, they, there is no question. There's possibly room there for some sort of a adjustment when it comes to the infrastructure in the local area, but. When it comes to um, uh, uh, these developments not going, as I said, you, the council are going to miss out on rates. Mm. Okay, so these these things could be, you know, um, and 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 it's completely contrary to the whole idea of decentralisation, wouldn't you say? You know, like if if it we're depends going to, on if we're going to pour
1: cold water on these developments on country towns.
0: It's it's that's where we want people
1: to go yeah. to get out of Melbourne. It depends on. Um I suppose how much of a deterrent it turns out to be on subdividing because he was saying, I had him on the show on Monday and he was saying that developers are getting, it used to be about $500 per square metre, would that sound about right? And it's gone up to about $2,000 per square metre because the demand for property and land has just gone through the roof. So, developers, from what I can see, at least at this stage, are still doing very nicely. Thank you very much.
0: Well, that's a very good point you make. Demand has gone through the roof and what you're doing is effectively possibly taking land off the market. Stifling
1: supply, yeah. And and
0: demand is going to go up with a reduced supply. So, that's going to only increase prices on existing product. Yeah.
1: So that that is a concern to me. I hope he can join us cuz he would have great answers to all Yeah, well all look of I'm, I'm
0: just saying this is what it appears to me at face value but it, it appears to me to be in the same ilk as the rud uh, the rud mining tax that we we see that there's a lot of money going over the counter here we want part of it and I I don't particularly follow that line of thinking. I think that's And what a disaster that, that, that uh, would, tax well, ended up being it sort of seems to be socialist in its in its inception. I I I don't particularly like this tax and, um, you know, there seems to be a whole... Uh, there seems to be a whole vein of this through the government's thinking at the moment. And um, and I would put this... Pl- Look, I'm surprised it didn't get more airtime and get more oxygen. It's just gone through and no one's known about it. And, well, it has
1: been bubbling away very quietly in the background because we did talk to uh, Tom when it was first flagged and he was very angry because he thought Geelong should be getting some of this tax revenue because, as I said, these big parcels of land near Geelong, they change the um, the zoning on those just before they brought in this tax. Um, so Geelong's land, uh, wherever it is, Lovely Banks or whatever that's being rezoned um, doesn't uh, benefit from it. But then I think maybe it's a little bit of wishful thinking on his part because his vision is, well, you make all this money from the tax on the land and you put that money back into the local community. And there's certainly no guarantee that this state government would put the money back into the communities where it came from. Who knows, you could be funding level-crossing removals in Melbourne. That's the
0: biggest problem here. Is it tied? Is the tax tied to the local
1: area? I I Uh, could uh, be wrong, but I doubt it. (laughs) I mean, what government has ever done that? well,
0: Well, that's exactly right.
1: So there's
0: another question,
1: and uh, and
0: that needs to be clarified too.
1: I mean, under his ideal world, it would be tied, and uh, you would see that money go into the local community because this is a huge problem. I think when we have all this sprawl, and it happens around Geelong, the infrastructure sprawls. Where does, the, where does the opposition stand on this? Uh, good question. Good question. But it sprawls out, and we don't have the. Um, the, the roads and anything put in and, uh, you know, we've built all the Armstrong Creek developments and all that and Heads road, it's still like a little goat track and apparently it's very congested in the morning and now we're only just talking about duplication of that road now um, so, you know, you maybe should think about developing before people They, they
0: would have thought of that I was through there yesterday, and it's quite congested. Yep. Yeah,
1: So, yeah, that's the problem. And in theory, and, of course, theories around taxation are always nice, aren't they? But in theory, you get all this tax money, you duplicate the road, and then it's all good from day one. But at the same time, I don't know if you could trust any government to actually put that money back into the community, I feel like they just, you know, move it around elsewhere. Because we as a state, we've got uh, trouble, don't we? We've got debt, we've got all of these payouts to do with COVID support packages because of our extended lockdown, so we need to make money in this state.
0: I just think this could be, well, that's it in a nutshell, isn't it? We've spent so much, we're chasing money wherever we
1: can. And is that a problem that we're going to put this tax into essentially paying back all the problems we've had with COVID?
0: But let me... Let me just go through these numbers again. I mean, you've got your, you've got your normal capital gains tax imposition, in, in and then you've got a sixty-two and a half percent tax between one hundred and five hundred thousand, and fifty percent thereafter. These are huge taxes. They're huge impositions. And I I don't know who set these numbers up. I really don't. But I would have thought that perhaps the use of another word besides a tax would have been a better thing, like an infrastructure levy.
1: Mm, or think I don't something like, that. like you don't. Oh, I just think it's just playing games, isn't it? It's like you well, know, well, it's well, not a carbon tax; it, it's a carbon price. You know, well, just call it for yeah. what it is. Like, um, didn't they bring in at the the last budget a mental health levy? I mean, I'm try just to
0: steer the funds. you Just, know? I just be upfront
1: with people. And I'm,
0: I'm trying to steer the funds because once that goes into the government's coffers, as you say, it could end up anywhere.
1: Yeah, but I've got a feeling that that just ends up happening anywhere, even when they call it a mental health. I mean, I just feel I feel like that's political games, don't you?
0: Well, yeah. And I think we've got to get ready for more of this because we're in so deep at the moment. It just doesn't matter. They've been throwing money away. I mean, they, they, it's, not, it's not about politics either side. Well, the,
1: the problem and, um, is, right, we as a state... Unfortunately, whether you blame Daniel Andrews or not, we've copped it big time when it comes to COVID. Our lockdowns have been extended and there's got to be a price for that. You can't just have extended lockdowns and have no consequences. There's going to be a price and that's going to have to be paid back somehow and uh, it will be disproportionate to the other states.
0: Correct, correct. So it's an ongoing problem and we, as I said, we better get used to this. Um, and we had, the, uh, we had the situation there with the...
1: With the protest during the week, mm, mm. now isn't the politics around that turning out to be quite interesting? Yeah,
0: in it, look, it, look, it it is. Um, I, I, as you know, I'm I'm always re- ready to pick the prime minister up on his use of his face mask and whatever. But I, I don't see he was out of line by the comments he made, and I, and I found that, that you know you've got Mark McGowan and Daniel Andrews jumping down his his throat and saying, well, you know, um, you're just backing the 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 hard hard right wingers which is nonsense which is nonsense there's two issues here you know we've got we've got the right to protest and and he concurred with that you've got the right to protest and he was alluding to the 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 new government legislation pandemic law um you've got the right to protest but violent protest is absolutely intolerant
1: this is why i never go to a
0: protest well
1: look just
0: stay with it for a sec um you know uh why mix those points up? The 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 um uh the the premier made a comment in parliament. Uh, you know those people. It's not about politics. It's about lives. Now, never a truer word spoken, Mr. Premier. It's not about politics. It's about lives. And you should stay out of our lives. You've had your chance. You've run the show when it when you and you and you locked us down and you did what you thought was right. I'm not getting up you about that. But subsequent to that. We're in a better position and you're tightening the screws. So just, I, I feel that demonstration is definitely, definitely worth it. Violent demonstration is definitely, definitely off the table. Uh, there is no, and I've often said, Mitchell, debate is everything. You can debate anyone out of existence. There is no room for for, for violence and right-wing Extremism. Uh, The prime minister was absolutely just making that point. There's no reason for the premiers of Victoria and Western Australia to condemn the to to condemn the Liberal prime minister. It was just, uh, it was just, it was it was in the old vernacular point scoring. Well, this is what's
1: happened, and um, we've seen it with. The way that John Aaron responded to a question that I asked of him on my program on Monday, where I said that, you know, we've clearly seen some disgraceful behaviour at these protests and publishing the home addresses of MPs. How terrible and disgraceful is that? Because that's essentially bullying them, uh, which I think is dreadful. Um, But the problem is that everyone who is against the bill for different reasons is tarred with that brush of being an extreme right-wing person, they're an anti-vaxxer, they're this, there are that. It's a shocking and, word. Uh, it's a shocking word. It's divisive. It, 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 well, it's very divisive, but it's just the way that things play out now where it's either all or nothing. You know, you're either a far right-wing anti-vaxxer or you love this legislation and think, if anything, the government should have more power and people want to not concede that there is any middle ground between those two very polarised positions and um, some of the discussion on Dennis's programme this morning, I think, was anchored a little bit in favour of that suggestion that everyone who is opposed to this legislation is an extremist. And I think, yes, there's clearly been some extreme elements. There's some dodgy characters out there. There's some people that are trying to take advantage of the situation. They gave a very good example of someone who has been previously shown to be sort of pro restrictions on COVID and looking after people has now turned sort of into the anti vaxxer territory and they think that they might be doing it just to boost their publicity. I thought that was a good example but I also think you've got to acknowledge that there are some concerns with the bill and they're independent of the protests and the bad behavior uh, that we've seen. And, uh,
0: what, no- about the, what about the comparisons with Donald Trump? Well, mean, st- I that's just... That's just so far off the... Well, off I the mean, lens. I Doesn't apparently,
1: it. according to John Aaron on my program on Monday, there were people at the rally with Donald Trump signs. Now, there could have been. I didn't see them. Um, but I haven't been watching every single well, clip from the rally. But
0: well, they're the numbskulls we're referring to, Mitchell. They've got no place What in connection
1: this. does Donald Trump have to Victorian state politics? I mean, I think he's got bigger issues to deal with, don't you? Well, it, the Donald Trump situation uh, with Capitol Hill was completely different. Um, the
0: Prime Minister was not supporting this violence at all at all and it's just not fair for the premier to be to be making that comparison but it's it's, uh, it's
1: convenient for the people who support this bill to muddy the waters in the way that they have absolutely
0: absolutely but who would be fooled by this I I don't. Well,
1: I don't, yeah. I mean, it's fairly transparent. It's very transparent. Please, by all means, call out the people that have been doing the wrong thing and the terrible behaviour that we've seen and the nurses and publishing uh, MPs' home addresses. That's disgraceful. Not in my state. We don't need some dreadful people out there who have taken advantage of this. But um, I think there's still some legitimate concerns with this bill. And um, you just have to cite all of the reasonable people who are against it. I mean, are they saying that every crossbencher who's decided to vote against it in including Adam Somerak, who maybe he's just doing it because he's got an axe to grind well, with the Labor there's Party. Of,
0: there's a lot of history there, But, too, yeah, okay. the
1: Law Council and uh, those <sighs> eminent QCs that have reviewed it. Well, I mean, think... no one I don't think is saying, or I'm not saying that we don't want to have any more lockdowns. If the situation is such that we need it, then, yes, we will have lockdowns in the future. But let's have a bit of checks and balances around how it's actually brought in.
0: Can I submit that we did it before we, we got the lockdowns happening in the past why do we have to implement this new legislation
1: i think the issue is you can't extend the state of emergency any more than the 14th of december or something and uh, the premier was saying i watched the premier say this yesterday if we don't pass this legislation we won't be able to stop people coming in from overseas who aren't vaccinated who may bring strains of the virus with them and again that is just playing games Uh, i i i
0: I would i would just refute that. I I just really think that that's
1: playing with words. They may have the powers removed, but the point is the bill that they're wanting to pass goes way further than just trying to stop people coming in from overseas who may not have had the vaccine. So there's a bit of game playing going on that if you're against this bill, you must be in favour of anyone just having free travel without the vaccine, bringing in Covid Echo and Covid Epsilon or whatever the next strain is, and causing all this havoc in Victoria. So a lot of political games from both sides, and that's what we're perhaps trying to do here on this program—is trying to cut through it and find out what the middle ground is.
0: If you ain't with me, you're a gimme That's what they said back in the the days of independence. In yeah, anyway,
1: I think the more so you, you go on, the more you find that in life there's a lot of shades of grey in things. And this very binary discussion that we're seeing now, in my view, is wrong.
0: Well, isn't it amazing, just this playoff now between the states and the federal government and the between the states and the states, and it's just
1: amazing. And binary, like, you're over there, I'm over here, you must be this, I'm this, you're an idiot, I'm this.
0: Because I I was delayed in my choice of vaccine for good personal reasons, and, uh, you know, I was called anti-vaxxer and things like that, and it's just divisive, it's it destroys confidence in uh relationships and all sorts of things so i think that uh i think that we've learned a lot in the last few in the last couple of years actually hard to think that isn't it it's been a couple of years but um we've learned a lot and um and uh, let's move on but anyway listen on that score uh, moving on um i've got someone i want to talk to mitchell his name's Mel Deverson. And uh, he's waiting on a call from us. And uh, great guy. What's his background? Well, he's he's a farmer, Mitchell. He's a farmer from the High Country in Eastern Victoria.
1: Now, wasn't there something I was just hearing in our news at eleven o'clock about something going on in Jamison and Mansfield? And I thought that'd be country that that you're very interested
0: about the deer shooters. Yeah. Uh, was that what you're talking about? I think so. It was it our news at 11? Yeah, look, um, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to sort of... Sc- Jury's out in that one. I'd, I wouldn't have thought that... Um, I wouldn't have thought that uh, uh, that would have been an unusual circumstance, spotlighting deer It's against the law and all that sort of stuff. Well, you know, actually, I don't know how the law stands with that.
1: But, but as soon you know, as I heard Mansfield and look, Jamison, I thought of you because I know you're uh, you're big into the high country. Well, I, I, am,
0: so. I am into the high country, and I know... Uh, I know, Mel, I've known him for a long... I haven't seen him for 40 years, but um, he's, uh, he's a farmer, and I would call him a critical thinker.
1: And Can I just I, mention something? Sorry, this is off topic. Yep. Well, it sort of is on topic, yep. but um, that interview that we did on the 9th of July, which was a long time ago, with Councillor Sonia Buckley, oh, yes. continues to generate interest. On my uh, website this morning, I just got a comment in from someone that listened to it who said, um, and this is from Wendy... Wendy Rice, Reese. The slaughter of Brumbies has to stop. Wild pigs cause the damage. There is too much evidence. Now I've got no idea if that's true or not, but isn't it interesting that that one interview we did back in July is still getting comments and interest.
0: Look, there's a lot of dispute. It's a bit like the mistrust over the vaccine, there's a lot of dispute on the numbers of the Brumbies in the high country.
1: Well, apparently they've done the, they're starting the culling now, aren't they? They
0: are. It's just started in the last couple of weeks. They are. Um, And I think that could have been handled better. I really do. I I think that there's possibly uh, no way out other than culling animals at some point, but the way it's been done is probably uh, too far one way. Um, The government has been a bit heavy-handed with it, but Look, these things... I I, I dispute those numbers, though. They're talking tens of thousands of Brumbies up there. Um, It's never been apparent to me, and I've walked a lot in there, driven a lot in there, flown over it. I've never seen these masses of horses they're talking about. But...
1: uh, Well, you think if you flew over them at some sort of altitude, like, I don't know, 1,000 feet, you should be able to get a fairly good perspective on what's going on.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, look, it's never been apparent to me. I've seen the odd Brumby around. Uh, I've never seen the... uh, Look, they're hard hooved animals and they would be fairly heavy point loading on the soft on the soft terrain i'm sure but um they are part of our heritage heritage and and they should be there should be room there to manage them i think um it's been a long time now they've been up there and i think that probably there's a little bit of um purist thought uh to just eradicate them completely
1: well it's a debate that just keeps going on and on and on but um anyway back to mal
0: Well, uh, we're going to call him uh, in a second and um, he's, as I said, he's a farmer and what I would call a critical thinker. He's an ex-Vietnam veteran and he has a few stories to tell us. Uh, There's a particular story which is on topic that that, uh, he'll relate and it's about vaccination. Mm. So, uh, I'd like you to hear that too. So, um, Would you like to go to a break
1: first and uh, then we'll get Mal on the line? Right. So, uh, while you find the number, uh, we'll say that uh, we're very much looking forward to talking to Mel, and uh, it'll be a very interesting conversation, because they all are on this program. Now, Now, you've got to find the right number off the, the card schedule. This is uh, live radio, and uh, Vic, again, is uh, driving us today and doing a great job, but everyone's got to learn something. And in fact, last week, someone said that uh, they couldn't tell the difference between whether you were panelling or whether I was panelling, which is either a great compliment to you or a compliment that is dismissive of my 17 years or whatever it is now of experience doing this. Here we go. All right. All right. Until midday, you're listening to 11 on Friday on 94.7 The Pulse. Now, Vic, we've got a special guest joining us on the line. Who have we got? We've got Mel Deverson. How are you, Mel? Got to turn on the phone. Now let's go. We've got
0: Mel Deverson. How are you, Mel? Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, it's good. You can make it.
2: Uh, can you hear me okay? I've got you. Yeah. Yeah, okay.
0: I'm in. So, oh, that's all. That's, yeah. And uh, now, where are you uh, at the moment? You're on the farm?
2: No, I'm uh, actually down in uh, Warragulnatch. I pick up some tractor bits, so I... The uh, so, reception on my car down here is a bit better than up on the farm, so I thought this
0: might be safer to... So, Mel... I, I, we were talking the other day, and, and as you know, I haven't seen you in, in 40 years. Um, uh, and uh, we've had a few conversations recently, though. And I, and I was particularly, you know, I thought it was interesting just to get your perspective on a few things uh, the way things have panned out for you and, uh, and what you're doing with your life. Um, and, I, and I think it's just be interesting just to set the scene and say, well, you know, you, what your history has been in, in that you've been a Vietnam veteran. You're now a farmer and you're doing uh, some interesting work up there in the high country with um, uh, um, uh, blueberries and a bit of genetics and whatnot, trying to stay ahead of it. Uh, but you've made some particularly, I, f- I thought, particularly interesting observations on the, on the weather and, and things like that. And uh, I would just like to sort of go through a few of those, those points now. Uh, just going back to your, your Vietnam experiences, Mel, how long were you there?
2: Uh, I was only there for a year, so I went over with um, the third battalion, and uh, the tours of duty were for twelve months. So I went over on the with, with the battalion on the of Sydney, and then came back twelve months later.
0: So that was December '67. We went over, came back December '68. Yeah, right. Oh, so uh, they were um, they were pretty uh, unusual years. There's a there's a book that I read years ago. I don't know if you've read it. It's called Ashes of Vietnam. Do you know it? No, I don't. Yeah, it's just a number of short takes and short phrases um, from various individuals uh, about the various stages of the conflict. That's leaving over there and coming home, particularly cutting edge. I mean, any one quote only goes sort of half a page. Um, And, um, you know, they they were different times indeed. Um, I I particularly liked... um, um, your comments about and this is this is probably one of the main reasons, Mel, that I've I've got you on the radio and everyone to listen up. Uh, for those people who are and have a, a, vas- a, a vaccine hesitancy, um, I, I would like you to recount your particular story about what happened um, with uh, you, you and the other servicemen um, as you were leaving for Vietnam when it came to vaccines.
2: Right, um, you know, it was interesting. It was.
0: Um, I don't think you can get sued now, Mel. I think it's, a lot, it's it's statute of limitations. So away you go. <laughs>
2: um, it was just oh, probably a month or two before we were due to leave, and um, we were based in Woodside in South Australia. The battalion was, and um, and so we were getting organised to go, doing lots of training, etc. And um, they, we had to have vaccinations for various things, you know, cholera, yellow fever um tetanus, the likes. There was four or five I think from memory. Um and <laughs> so the way they they did it was we were marched up to um up to the hospital if you like or, you know, the medical centre and um, there was a line of nurses and they the first one um, put a needle in your arm, um, injected whatever. Left the needle in there, removed the syringe and then you moved along to the next nurse and they plugged their syringe in and, and their um, product
0: straight in on top
2: yeah on top and there was four or five of them I I can't exactly remember but um,
0: but it was just another day at the office
2: yeah but the, you know to top all of that off you know I was a bit horrified about all of that because I thought you know I've got a fairly logical mind I think and to me if, if they were meant to be cocktailed
0: then that's how they would they all be mixed together and you just have one syringe yeah spoken like a true farmer. Uh, Mel, yeah.
2: So, so a, a week, S- save effort, uh, save trouble. Yeah, a week or so later they um, they came in and they said, you know, the sergeant said, oh, you've all got to go up and get your vaccinations. And we said we did that last week. Oh, uh, uh, the army's stuffed up and they've lost records. So now everyone has to be done again. <laughs> we ran through the procedure for a second time.
0: So. so isn't that amazing? Can you imagine what would happen if that happened again today? There'd be inquiries, there'd be news reports, there'd be, you know, what's happening to these men, And but in those days, and we all did it, I mean, I didn't do that, but there were similar things, you know, vaccines, go and do it, uh, and for all those people who are hesitant, um, it doesn't make it right, but perhaps there's probably an over-accent on our rights and the way we think and the, um, the the sanctity of our own bodies, and it's probably got a bit out of control. Uh, you know, I, I, having said all that, I don't trust so much. I don't trust the words and the prophecies of Big Pharma at all. But um, but you know, that story I think is a terrific story because it just it, it just makes us sort of think well maybe we should just get over this and just do it and um and try and just and and try and live uh, a normal life if everyone's vac- vaccinated and a lot of my friends are holding off they're still holding off and look i defend their right to do it but um sometimes i think we've been a little bit precious about it. It, it, it there's been a lot of care taken over this and um you know unlike unlike those days when it was some um, you know, when it wasn't so, uh, when it, when no one really cared about the, the recipient, it was just get it done and move on, soldier. But um, yeah. just uh, just along those lines, Mel, tell us about what uh, what was your experience in, in Vietnam? And you were in a couple of engagements there. Can you tell us anything about that?
2: Um, oh, look, we we landed, as I said, in December '67, and in um, in May of '68 was the Tet offensive. And uh, or a bit before that actually uh, the Tet Offensive started which is uh, ties in with the Chinese New Year and they, there was a major push by the not just Viet Kong but the North Vietnamese regular army into um, Vietnam and they South Vietnam and they actually took over parts of Saigon so they, it was a pretty major push, they took over a lot of the local villages, you know, one close to Nui Dat where we the Australian base was was called uh, Long Dien and, and we spent time in there uh, and uh, so there's lots of that, that was probably the first major um, contact set up that, that we had where we lost a few blokes and you know we were um, under a fair bit of pressure but um, following that uh, uh, a few weeks later or a little while later in in May um, the the North Vietnamese were being forced out of Saigon and they were fleeing back up uh, the Ho Chi Minh Trail back into Cambodia and, and the Americans asked the Australians to set up a blocking force. Uh, we usually operated Phuk Thuy province or Benoit, some of the ones closer to that, not right up near the Cambodian border. But this was only 13k uh, from the Cambodian border and the Australians set up Coral as a fire support base and Balmoral as a, uh, was where the infantry battalions were based and so that was basically three where we were at Balmoral and that's where I was and um, it was uh, probably, um, the, well it was in physical size that in numbers the biggest battle in Australia was involved in because it was North Vietnamese regulars, well equipped, uh, well organised and uh, and they actually usually, you know, in this
0: Now this is the Battle of Balmoral you're talking about now? That's right, yeah. Sounds like a Scottish thing, but anyway, go on.
2: Well, yeah, I don't know where... Um, yeah, I'm not sure where the name came from. Came from, yeah. The name, every yep. brief, uh, mm. place would have a name or operation whatever name. So anyway, they, that, they. it was a pretty major thing, um, and it, it occurred over, there was two battles, one on the 25th, night of the 25th, and, uh, and then uh, two nights later, they hit us again. The first night... Our fire support was, which is where the artillery is based and gives you support. Yeah. They, they attacked them first. They overran coral lines. There was numerous Australians killed and, um, and they were forced out of there, but it meant that we had no fire support and they hit us at the same time. So they're pretty well organised. Um, the battle went on for, for several hours. At night? At night, um, sort of early, early morning, really, uh, sort of two o'clock in the morning, through till daylight, um, and uh, yeah, we lost a few blokes in our section. We lost. Um,
0: Can I ask you? Is that a standard sort of tactic to hit at night? Was that was that st- what you'd expect? Well, engagement. It was a, a, it, well, yes, largely,
2: but um, you know, we used to do back at you know our normal operations. We would do a lot of day patrols but we do a lot of night ambushes as well and um but this was a little bit different in as much as we weren't used to being on the back foot you know being the ones attacked um usually we were the aggressor and uh you know we had the numbers in our favor but this was a bit different and um that was a it was a full-on thing and um but the 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 second attack um We were a bit better organised, I guess, and uh, and knew what to expect, and and so we came out of that a little bit better. Um, But it was a it was a major major thing, and I was machine gunner. You know, I had the M60, and
0: and yeah, what what happened there? You were on the M60. Yeah, well... You're so you're in a... Let's set the scene here. Now, look, let's just... For those people who are just tuning in, uh, I'm speaking with Mel Deverson. He's a farmer from the eastern high country of Victoria, and uh, he's just giving us a few life stories, and I'm particularly zeroing in on this Vietnam th- uh, theme for, for a reason, uh, but we'll get to that later. Go on, Mel. Yeah, go ahead. Um, well, it was... Um, the, the battalion had moved up during the day,
2: and they'd had numerous contact. This is into the, what was... To be the base at Balmoral. So it was it was just the middle of the jungle. But um, um, that was the position they were going to set up in, and they'd marched in during, or you know, patrolled in during the day, had numerous contacts, so they, they knew there was a lot of enemy around. I personally was uh, had been in, in uh, Bung Tower in hospital, and uh, I'd been out a few days and sent back to Nui Dat, and the battalion was out. So I was doing sort of the guards on the, on the base, if you like, and then um, they... The 25th of May, they um, they wanted. They knew they'd moved into Balmoral that day, and they wanted. Um, you know, because I was the gunner, they sort of said they wanted me there. And there was a few other guys also had been on leave or in hospital or whatever, and, and they were. But so they flew us in, and that was a really really interesting trip because we went in American chopper on um, Huey's? Yeah, because it was so such a, a hot sort of area, he flew in at treetop. Yeah right. <laughs> Amazing experience. Zigzagging in between the trees because if yeah. you're if you're down low, they haven't got much time to draw a bead on you, or you fly up high above where small arms fire can't get to you. But then you've got to come down at some point, and uh, so he elected to, anyway to go through the trees and. and it
0: well, let let me interrupt you there. There was a particular uh, there was a particular manoeuvre that was. Um, Bad for the helicopters, which they weren't aware of, but they discovered in Vietnam where the where the pilot pushes over heavy on the stick, and um, it causes head separation and the and, and the blades fly off the chopper. It's called mass bump, and they discovered that from that particular uh, that those particular sorties there in um, in they discovered that phenomena uh, in Vietnam for those particular sorties. But away you go. So it was pretty it was a pretty dangerous operation all around. Go on, keep going, mate. Yeah, well, well, you
2: know, I, I, so I landed there late in the afternoon. Um, and uh, the blokes, says, "I said had moved up. They've been out in the bush for a, probably a week, and they uh, having numerous contacts. And, and you, you get, you know, it's hot and sweaty, and you don't get a, have a chance of tub or anything. And uh, there was a, been some B fifty two strikes in this area, and there was sort of out in front of where the the battalion was harboured up was, or where Barumara was. There was a big clearing, probably six or seven hundred metres wide, that went across to the other side where there was jungle again, and uh, but." where these B-52 bomb craters were, some of them had water in them. So I got there, they, you know, they handed the gun over to me and they said, look, we're taking uh, guys out to have a tub in the, you know, a bit of a wash in the area. I needed to be, stand on the bank and be guard sort of thing. So we did that. So that was late in the day. And then uh, the guys had already dug dug pits, but they had no overhead protection or else didn't. So that was just a hole in the ground, really, you could, a fighting pit, which you could stand in. Um... You know, probably five foot, five foot deep. They dug a hole, a couple of holes behind that. That, that was sort of the, the section gun pit, uh, which would be manned all night. So you'd do picket on it. There'd be you know all the guys through the section would take turns during an hour or so to picket on it. The sleeping pit for me and um, Jerry Miles, who was the section commander, who was a lance corporal, um, was directly behind the gun pit. So, um, you know, I'd um, I've been having issues with. With, um, with Kenya and because um, you're not allowed to the, the, the army here is not allowed to take your boots off you know? so you imagine being operating in the tropics uh, walking around you're wet when it's wet and so you're wet all the time and you know so your feet rot you know your socks are rotten and mm. you know, I had a, a tenure issue but you're not supposed to take your boots off you know it's a chargeable offence so I, I'm laying in the pit um, and I was buggered, you know, my feet were itchy And thought so I wanted to air them So I took my boots off, which was, you know, allowed to do um, As I said, we got hit We got hit by, started with rocket fire and mortar fire And uh, straight away, whoever was on picket Which happened to be Dave Hodder, a guy from Queensland And uh, he yelled out and, and Jerry and I climbed into the fighting pit But I had no boots on mm. You know
0: yeah, not a not a good scene. Yeah, go on.
2: A thousand rounds or something through the gun. You know, there was about six inches of shells in the bottom of the pit. They're coming out of the gun red hot, and I'm standing on these things, and so I, I ended up with horrible blisters and things at the bottom of my feet. But I, I wasn't going to go to the RAP because I couldn't explain it. Why?
0: No. So, so. No. No, you were caught you caught red footed on that one um, yeah look uh, that's a that 's a terrific uh, insight into uh, an engagement there in vietnam and um, uh, I, I just wanted to ask you that and get a bit of that out of the way we're running short of time so we're going to move along um just w- w- tell me also about your your observations about the weather on your farm and what's probably occurred over the last recent period um just just at a, at, at a very much observational level what would you say about the weather now we've jumped a long way from vietnam to his farm but we g- i'm going to make a point here but keep keep going um
2: Look, I've been farming up there for 40 odd years 45 40 years and uh, the uh, we irrigate our blueberries and um, so irrigation water is important but you know I've really noticed a change even in 40 years from where we were at to where we are now um, in 2006 we had the Moondara fires which threatened to wipe us out and um, the son, Joel, and I, with only two left on the farm in the, during the afternoon, we'd had three CFA trucks there, but they were pulled out because it was deemed to be too dangerous. And so Joel and I stayed there on our own, and we successfully defended the main buildings and what have you. But um, every year since then, pretty much, uh, we have had threats of fire.
0: That was in 2000 and what, that one?
2: Two thousand and six,
0: and six. Yeah, okay, yeah, that was a bad one. Yeah, so you've had every year. Keep going. We just we'll have to hurry it up. We're starting to run out of time here. I want to make this point. Okay,
2: yeah, pretty much every year we've had we've had a threat. Two years ago, it came was coming up through Walhalla, and and you know that country. Yep, but yep, I do. Rugged was coming through there. It was in the afternoon. The sky was um, was this horrible red colour. and It was coming our way, and it got to within about three k of us, and. The heat and everything was so intense it created rain, and and the rain came, and that's what saved Walhalla. Apparently, um,
0: is that right? Created its own fu- uh, weather system.
2: Yeah, it was it was the most scary thing. I, because I had experienced two thousand six, I knew it was pretty serious, and uh, you know, so yeah, it's not a pleasant thing. So every year now we get in, we seem to be getting this this um, threat of fire. This year we've had we're, we're wet wetter than than. The traditional long-term average which we haven't reached the long-term average in rainfall for 15 years until now and we're already we're only in november and we've already exceeded what that long-term average is and along with the wet we're getting extreme winds we've had about four events where we've almost cyclonic conditions the road between that's them. unusual oh yeah we did get wind but this is you know you've got 80 100 year old trees that are just just topping over every every few weeks, we seem to be getting these storms. They're, they're vicious, you know. They're breaking trees in half that shouldn't have any reason to break, and yet they they're twisting off. And so it's it's unusual. Um, I think you know I'm a real uh, advocate of um, you know. I accept that climate change is is here. It's it's. Um, man induced um, you know we've burnt all this fossil fuel over the last hundred years has to have an impact i don't you know don't think there's any doubts about that um, I get a little bit um i'm very very concerned for our farm and its longevity my son and my daughter are both in business with me they've both got children who are interested in the farm. But lo- when I think about it long term, I'm really not sure how we're going to. Um, if this patterns these patterns continue and get worse, like is predicted, then I really fear for our our existence as a farm.
0: So Mel, so we've been through a few stories about your life and who you are and what you've done, just a little bit, and we've set the scene that you've been around a bit. You know, you, you've you've done a fair bit. You're not you, you you haven't been in kit gloves all your life. You've you've been out there on the cutting edge of life. You're concerned about the environment now. Is it any secret about what your voting preferences are?
2: No, I'm quite open with uh, the fact that I vote Green. Um, Before that, it was the Democrats. um, And mostly because I feel that both our major parties need to be held to account and the current system doesn't allow that. Uh, We're ruled by the vested interests who pour money into their campaign funds and have access to their you know, their lobbyists have access to their offices, you know, which the ordinary person doesn't. And so, um, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, God no, no I, I it's, it's my vote is probably more a protest vote. A lot of the green stuff I don't agree with, but a lot of it I do. A hell of a lot of it, you know. They they talk about food security and supporting the family farm, um, you know.
0: Yeah so there is it's it's like I, I often say and we've often said on this program no one you can't outright condemn one party and say they're all wrong there are good points in every party and, um, and the Greens certainly do have a few good points too. You know, some of their policies leave me weak. But um, it's interesting that you, you, you've making, you're making that very conscious decision. And if you're like me, and I think you are, um, when you cast your vote, you feel, like me, that it's the casting vote, uh, as we do in a democracy. It's, and we take it very seriously. And the, and the fact is that um, you, you've made that decision. Uh, And that actually is quite, it's quite, uh, shall I say, it's a stark uh, example of, of, of the way things are heading and the inadequacy. Of both of our major parties in dealing with this, and I've, I've often said I feel that they're they're only playing around the edges. Uh, but we have to get them to the table more, and um, we've seen that in Glasgow. We've seen some a, a lot of a lot of rhetoric, but probably not a whole lot of action. And um, uh, you know, these promises are made in the future, and whether they're going to actually realise them, we, we don't know. But um, look, um, Mel, thanks very much for coming on the program and um, and telling us those stories and. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll catch up with you in the uh, in the future again.
2: Yep. No, thanks for that, big. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: And uh... no, it was wonderful, and it was great to catch up with you.
2: <laughs> okay, we'll do it physically one day.
0: Good on you, Mel. Take it easy. Okay. Man. Good talking to you. Bye.
1: Wow, what a character and uh, so many that interesting was an stories. Interesting,
0: that was an interesting encounter. You know, he is what you would call, and, and we didn't get into too much about um, some of his his things that he's, he's taking on um, because that probably would have gone for some time, but um, he's very, very concerned about the environment. Well, I think
1: um, what he was saying about the storm damage to the trees, I, I, I found was that interesting because yep. um, just my driving around and seeing all of those trees and you look at the roots on them and it says that they must have have been in the ground for a long time to develop those root systems and uh, somehow now they've just uh, collapsed when they've clearly survived storms of 10, 20, 30 years. It's interesting.
0: Well... Well, as I said, he's, he's a person that's been around and he makes these observations and he's done a, he's, he's done a, a rather radical thing in the way his, his, his thought processes are working. And uh, he's not, you know, he, he's what we would call a free thinker. And I think we should all be, be like that. And, and the government should be on notice that there are a lot of people out there at this coming election who are going to be thinking that way. Uh, there certainly will be, you know. There certainly will be. So,
1: but um, yeah, what you were saying about Glasgow as well. I mean, politics, all rhetoric and no action. Who would have thought, eh?
0: Well, <laughs> look, as we said, I think that I think some of these targets should be should be five year targets, not not ten and twenty and thirty year targets. They should be five year targets, so that the, the people who are now in in power will have to bear the responsibility for their decisions.
1: And just the other thing, um, doesn't that car alarm in the background spoil that high uh, country ambiance? We held imagine... our nerve. <laughs> Mitchell. No, but he was down the valley. He was down in Warrigal somewhere. Oh, but I'm just imagining him out there on the high country, and then you hear this car alarm. Yeah, that would have put off. a lie
0: to the whole thing. So I was lucky he did tell us where he was. Actually, so that's
1: fine. I um, think he was in Ryrie Street or something. Talking about nature the other day, I was driving down. I think we actually do need to fit in a break. But oh, do anyway, we? Oh, wow. Sorry, just can you finish that story?
0: Uh, talking about nature the other day, I was driving down through Bellyang and a mother duck and her partner duck. Yes, duck had these ducklings and it was amazing, Mitchell. I was driving along and they just walked up to the side of the road and they stopped. And all the, the all the little ducklings stopped right next to them and all the traffic... And they waited for... Is this the, the
1: Bacchus stop. Marsh Road? talking no, about t- down at Balliang. Our Balliang Sanctuary on, Street on Street Shannon Avenue. Avenue. Yes.
0: And they stopped and the, all the traffic pulled up and they stopped and when the traffic had stopped they walked across just as, just as orderly as you like.
1: It sounds and like and they've done that
0: before. And that was... I thought it was just beautiful. It was
1: just wonderful. Beautiful. So, you um, better go to a break. Oh, I was going to run out of time. All right. Until midday, you're listening to Eleven on Friday on ninety four point seven, The Pulse. Well, we're just about there for the day. We've uh, actually gone slightly over, but that's okay because coming up straight after us is the uh, the community radio satellite, which will take it. you through until one o'clock. But how have you felt? This is day two or program two of you driving us, steering this ship. What well, metaphors we can use? Flying f- the plane.
0: I felt I had a little. I was a little behind the eight ball there this morning when I came in a bit flustered. But um, I, I, you I, pulled I, through. I, I pulled through. I, I you know, um,
1: it's it's a little. Uh, it's a little confusing, but um, we'll get there. I think you're getting the hang of it piece by piece. But um, it reminds me, and uh, we used a, an aviation metaphor uh, last week to describe it but it reminds me a lot about flying and that is you know that you always want to be 10 minutes ahead of the aeroplane i think they say or whatever it is yeah i think i'm behind and the i think it's board. the same I, with I, this I, I think i'm beyond the board a bit but, but uh, sure uh, you've done much. a great job once again and uh, that's it for me for a couple of weeks because i'm going to be uh, heading off and looking forward to talking to you but i did see liz yesterday and uh, she did tell me that she was hoping to come back in well, either today we'll be back or in next week or the I'll week come after. in with her That'd and she said she thinks that maybe you know more about the panel than she does now because I doubt. When she last did it. There's been a few button changes since then. Has there? Um, so, you know, good luck. Um, have a good couple of weeks. Get some more interesting good guests on, you, on and we'll, we'll talk to you in December. We'll see you on Facebook. And, and in fact, what does your Christmas countdown app say?
0: Well, now, well, caught out on that one. Uh, Let me just, uh, let me just... uh, I was
1: just thinking the next time we talk, it's going to be mid-December or something. Well, here it is, 36 sleeps till Christmas, Well, that's next to nothing. And don't we just love Christmas? It's the best time of the year. 851
0: hours. Um, Yes, it's a lovely time of the year. Just magic. Uh, it it grounds us all. uh, But I always find that once it's gone... It's a sort of an anti-climax. You're out there again. And you've built
1: it all up and yeah, then back into January and yep. you've got a whole other uphill push That's, in a year ahead of you.
0: think of your fellow man, then it's commercialism again.
1: <laughs> I think it's always commercialism. It sure is. All right. Well, we'll flick over now to the, uh, the satellite. So um, uh, I might even do that for you, Vic. Yes. Um, which right you right. might even catch the tail end of the news.
0: The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank.